On this episode, Andrea Jones, the Vice President of Business Operations of Crosby Hop Farm, stops by, and we talk about work-life balance, how fear holds us back, and finding your passion in work. They think it's black or white. It's either opt-in, you go to work, or it's opt-out, and you do nothing, and you stay at home. It's not just black or white. There's a lot of options. Um, and I think a lot of times they don't know that. It's hard to know that. You don't know anybody else who's doing something different. Um, and I just love for people to know that there, there are lots of options out there. You're listening to the Pursuit of Purpose podcast. Wisdom, stories, and advice from successful entrepreneurs and inspirational people. So thank you everyone for joining us on another episode of the Pursuit of Purpose. My name is Chris Kiefer and today I'm very excited to have Andrea Jones as one of our guests. Andrea, thanks for joining us. Thanks for having me. And Andrea is the is currently the Vice President of Business Operations of Crosby Hop Farms um, in, based in Oregon. And I have to say, Andrea, before this interview, I got sucked into a little wormhole and watched uh, way too many of your YouTube videos and looked through the website on there. But it sounds like a pretty um, exciting place to be right now. Uh, from the looks of it, you guys are going through some um, some serious growth, which has to be exciting and also stressful. But also, uh, it looked like you guys are a certified B Corp now, which is something that I find very intriguing. But before we get into Crosby Hop Farms and what you're doing now, um, why don't you give me just a quick background on um, who you are, your family, maybe jobs that you've had, and um, zoom ahead to today. That sounds good. So I started my career uh, as an engineer at Intel, and I did that for about four years. It was that engineer where you go into the factory and you wear the bunny suit, you know, that engineer that carries a pager and gets called in the middle of the night sometimes. Unfortunately, I felt like that was happening a little too frequently, and I got engaged in 2003 and realized I didn't want to be answering a pager in the middle of the night when I had a family, so I decided to go to business school. So I went out to MIT and have a dual degree in engineering as well as an MBA from there, and I came back in 2006 to Portland, uh, married, and started a consulting business, and I really started the business to have a flexible lifestyle so I could continue to work and have my career and but not have to work you know 50 60 hours a week like I may have had to do at um, other places and I did that for a good 10 years solid and it was wonderful so I was able to consult part-time I have four children so I kind of I'd consult, I'd have a baby, I'd take some time off, I'd go back to consulting and I'd have another baby and I went back and forth to one particular client most of those years and I, there's people out there at that client which I still um, have people working there who've seen me pregnant each of the four times. I think it's kind of funny. Um, and in 2014, at the end of 2014, uh, my youngest was almost one and I decided that it was time to kind of step it up a little bit with the business. And I joined a group called Vistage, which has been amazing for me. It opened up a huge networking opportunity and just professional and personal growth. And I started to, to get more business than I personally could perform. And at that time, I started to hire 1099s. So other women that had families and didn't want to work full time, but had terrific experience and education and background and were able to 
do work, but on a limited basis. And I was able to marry up clients who, you know, my, my sort of sweet spot of clients is about 10 to 60 million in revenue. And these clients don't often need somebody who's coming in there 40 hours a week on a consulting basis, but they might not have project managers as something we do of their own. And they might not have people who really look at processes from end to end and streamline them. You know, people in these businesses are busy. They don't have time. So, so they don't want a full-time consultant, but they need somebody. We don't want to work full-time, but we like to do something and we have this experience. And so we just marry that, that relationship up. And so for three full years, 15, 16, 17, I was doing that. I was still consulting. I was subcontracting work that was kind of overflow work to this group of women. Um, but then right around the fall of last year, uh, I started to kind of get that, you know, consulting is great and I do love it. But one thing that you miss is you don't get to stick around and see the fruits of your labor and how they really stick around in the business. And, you know, just when you get to develop a relationship with people, it sort of ends. And I was able to I was working with Crosby Hot Farm at the time. Um, they'd been a client the previous year. I actually met them the year before that. And the CEO out there needed somebody to help run the operational side of the business. So we engaged in this interim role for four months last year. And then I became W2 there on January 1st of this year, 2018. And I've been in that role since then. It is super fun, like you alluded. I'm sure we'll talk more about it. Um, in the meantime, I still own and operate AJC, the consulting business. And I have people working there too. So, yeah, it's been great. So you, when did you, when did the AJC start? What year? It was December 2006. Okay, and then you have had that up till today, but you said it was kind of really picking up in 15, 16, 17? 15 is when it picked up. That's when I started having subcontractors work for me. Mm -hmm. Okay, so you, the, the other thing that, you, how many kids um, would you have had when you started the consulting business? I had zero kids when I started. I got pregnant a month after I started with the first one. And then you had recently, now you have four kids, so you were able to do this and kind of uh, find work um, in between being a mom and raising kids. And, and then finally, when they got into school, I'm sure a little bit more time opened up. But um, that's something that I find very um, amazing personally how do you Natalie and I now have our first uh, daughter as you know um, but how do you define work-life balance um, and what, what what would you say work-life balance is that's a great question I feel like for me work-life balance and I think I've heard a lot of people say this now it's not as much of a balance as a everything happens all the time I think so many people want to be able to say, this is my work time, these are the hours I'm devoting to work, and this is my other time, and I won't even consider work during the other time. But I don't think that's really compatible with life, right? Like, you and I are sitting here, it's 11 o'clock on a Friday, I got up this morning, I answered a few emails, I went to a 5.30 a.m. workout class, right? I came home, I got my kids to school, I did some work and check-ins, I had a networking meeting, I'm talking to you, like, I'm going to go to the bouncy house at my kids' school at 1 o'clock today, and then I'm going to do a little bit more work in the afternoon, this is my day. And that is normal. And I think that's fine. I don't think, I think the balance is really just knowing that you can do both at any time. It's really what your life needs at that time, if that makes mm. sense. Yeah, because I, I, for the longest time, I hated the term work-life balance. And the best definite or best rephrasing of that that I've heard, and I can't remember who it was that said it, was work-life integration and trying to find a way that your work 
fuels your life and your life fuels your work and vice versa. I, I love that phrase, work-life integration. I'm going to start using that. Um, and so you, um, obviously, as you're raising kids, you um, there were more demands on your time. How has that, what, what have you learned or what advice would you give to, you know, new parents um, such as Natalie and myself, um, anyone else out there that is in the process of trying to figure out, so we both enjoy working. We don't really, neither one of us wants to be full-time at home and we're not even, it's not needed right now. Um, but how do you balance uh, with a spouse working and trying to determine, you know, who's going to be working more and who, or do you both have flexible jobs? How, how did that work for you guys? Yeah, for us, Alex, my husband has always worked full-time. Um, we felt like, especially with four kids, that having the, the health insurance benefit being consistent and somebody bringing in a consistent paycheck was was necessary for us. I don't think that's true for everybody, of course. Um, but there have been, it's kind of a hard question to answer. I feel like we've had a lot of support. My parents live pretty close. They help us a lot. We're fortunate that what we do is relatively lucrative so we can afford to have, you know, we have a live-in nanny. <laughs> But um, I think the advice I would give people, though, is you can feel guilty as a parent. You can feel guilt all the time. And I actually don't think it's best for kids, even, that their parents be the helicopter hover parent who's at, I mean, yeah, of course, you want to go to as many sporting events and as many school activities and stuff as you can. But sometimes you just can't go. And I literally told a friend this morning, she also has four kids. And uh, I said, you know, even if you're a full-time stay-at-home parent when you have four kids, you can't go to every single thing for every single kid. It's physically impossible. They will have a game at the same time. One of them will have a recital and the other one will have a practice. I mean, you just can't do it all. And it's good for them to know they're not the center of the universe, right? Everybody's got to figure that out sometime. Um, your parent will be there. They'll support you. They'll be as much as they can. I kind of go for the 80-20 rule. Like, I'll try to be there 80% of the time, but sometimes I just can't do it. And my kids are going to still be functional adults, I'd like to think. Right. So you, that's, I, I um, what you just said there that you can feel guilty as a parent, which I'm assuming, was there a period in your, in this, like, growth for you where you attempted to do everything and you wanted to, like, you had certain expectations going into it and now you kind of have a new perspective? Or yeah, do you have sure. examples of that? Absolutely. Um, I mean, just this past month in May, I had to go to a conference for work for the whole week. So long as I've been away from the kids. I've gone to conferences before, but this was five nights away, and I've never been more than three. And I missed what my oldest daughter was doing, the crowning of Mary at the school, and she was the one chosen this year. And she's never been chosen before all the years I could have gone, but this year it was that week, and I couldn't be there, and I felt pretty guilty, you know. But then I just got over it. And I remember when I first had my oldest, this is after I you know, started the consulting business December of 06. She was born in October of seven. And I wasn't sure if I was gonna go back to work or not. I think, and this, I definitely wanna talk about this a little bit because I think a lot of people, a lot of women who are educated women who have been maybe in a corporate situation, especially one that's a big company where quite frankly, they will work you as many hours as you're willing to put in, you can work them right? Um, and you just, 
you have this new baby and you think to yourself, how can I leave this amazing, precious, wonderful person that I've just brought into this world and go off and work 60, 70 hours a week, right? Like I can't do it. And so that's where I think people, that is the tipping point for a lot of people. They think it's black or white. It's either opt in, you go to work or it's opt out and you do nothing and you stay at home. And I had that time. And I remember I was researching on the internet. I think I still have some of the links now, you know, what's it going to do to my kid? If I go to work, how is she going to behave or live or what is she, you know, blah, blah, blah. And there's actually <laughs> quite a bit of research that would show that, um, there's, there's benefits for children who have two working parents whose mother works. And this is specifically what I was looking for. Cause that's of course the situation that I was in, um, that girls with a working mother, tend to have better careers. They make more money. They rise up the corporate ladder. Now, maybe that's not your definition of success and that is fine. But, you know, statistically, if a girl has a working mother, she's going to be more successful in a professional career. And for boys, the professional correlation wasn't there quite so much, but they noted that boys of a working mother tended to pitch in with housework more and be more helpful with their own kids someday. And I can see that. I can see why, you know, if your mom worked, you see that as a role model, you know it can be done. If your mom worked, you see that as a role model, your dad was pitching in because he had to, you know? So um, mm. that kind of convinced me. And I realized, again, though, I didn't want to go back to a 60-hour work week, but I also didn't want to do nothing. And that's really why I started consulting. Well, I started it before that, but that's why I kept going on this flexible model. And I think there are there's a lot of gray between those two extremes. It's not just black or white. There's a lot of options, um, and I think a lot of times, especially women with good educations in this corporate career coming out of that, they don't know that. It's hard to know that. You don't know anybody else who's doing something different, um, and I just love for people to know that there there are lots of options out there. Yeah, I think that's a good point that the there you one one specific thing that you mentioned was the idea of being black or white. That you're either you work. 70 hours a week or you stay at home and choose and I think that's another or that's a one specific example of something that I feel like I'm fairly passionate about and that is trying to Natalie and I would like to have a large family and the jury's still out on how many that <laughs> means but um, I know that four or more sounds nice as of now but I know that because we are both ambitious individuals and we both have lots of ideas and passions and whatnot for life, we are going to have to find unconventional ways to do that. And I think that um, what you're describing is very, uh, I think it's, it's becoming more popular in the world today that I heard a statistic that by like 2025 or 2030, I can't remember the exact year, but basically 50% of the workforce is going to be freelancers. Mm -hmm. um, and right now it's a third of the workforce is uh, freelancers. But I think that in general, people are starting to, and I look at it as a huge bonus or benefit because of technology. Um, there's not really anyone who has like paved the way for how to work and be a parent in today's world. Um, because first of all, there may be several people that have done it certain ways, but you can come up with so many different, I just, the way that you described your morning today, I think is like absolutely fantastic. And there's no way that that would have been possible 20 years ago or 30 years ago. 
because there's just too much uh, coordination that's happening. And at least I'm, I'm guessing, I guess it could have happened. But the fact that we have the ability to, um, you know, have our laptop and a smartphone that can be in contact and catch things if there's emergencies or whatnot at any time, it, it really frees us up to be much more um, flexible throughout the day and then also have these it sounds like, and I don't know if you would say you've kind of gotten into a rhythm um, of being comfortable in this, um, uh, what's the word? I guess from the outside, I would say it almost sounds like chaos, <laughs> it but it's, it's like organized. Right. Yep. Chaos. That's a good word to describe it. Um, I think that uh, a lot of what you said resonates. I've heard that, the statistic of the gig economy and people doing the freelance work. I think it's true. I was saying this 10 years ago. Of course, nobody's listening to me then, but that's all right. Um, I think it's true even beyond just having kids, right? Like people want to live a life and do things. And the retirement age is, is going up and people find that they want to keep working, but they just don't want to do it as as many hours a day or in the same format that it's currently being expected. Uh, so I think there's a lot of momentum. I'm really excited about that for sure. Um, and I feel like responsible adults should be able to live this life of work and doing what you want to do for your family. Because, you know, just because you didn't go in from eight to five doesn't mean you didn't get an eight hour or even a 10 hour day in, you know, like on Wednesday, I left at mm. three so that I could go to my second daughter's fairy tale presentation at the local library with her class. But then after the kids went to bed, I got onto the computer and worked for another two hours, you know, so big deal, right? Right, right. How many hours of sleep do you get a night? I typically get seven. I try to get eight. If I would just go to bed at 9.30, would <laughs> <it'd> be better. <laughs> <laughs> but it sounds like, so you're, I work out in the mornings, but you, you do as well. Yeah. So you try and go to bed by 9.30, maybe 10. More like 10. Um, maybe a little later. Um, but in general, you're up at like 5 or 5.30 every morning? Yep, I'm up at 5. I wouldn't do it if I didn't have to. That's the only time I have to exercise. But I, if I don't exercise, I go a little crazy. Uh, I need to exercise. Right. So another thing that I'm um, curious about is uh, you mentioned that you have a nanny. You've had an au pair. Did you guys have some trial and error in that? Or, or even was there other things that you feel pretty proud that you were able to, like, come up with an unconventional solution and still be loving parents that have jobs and go to their kids' events? Uh, yeah, there's a lot in that question. For us, it was, at first, again, back to the mindset of, I'm so scared, I have this brand new baby, blah, blah, blah. Uh, my mom came and lived with us five days a week. She would come on Sunday and she would leave on Friday. And I will tell you, that was the hardest three months of my life. I love my mom, but my mom living with us did not work for me. So if you can get it, that's great. It's, of course, the person that might care about your kids the most next to you and your spouse, but that was really challenging. So we first put our oldest into daycare, and the second one went into daycare as well. It was an in-home care. You know, we, we were kind of, uh, that's what I did when I was a kid, an in-home care. I liked that. But I found that it's cost prohibitive after child number three. <laughs> that's when we got the au pair. And we got the au pair because our, our son's preschool teacher is the director in Portland for au pair care one of the au pair companies, and um, they recommended that we consider that as an option. And I was looking for a nanny, and it was, it's kind of hard to find a nanny who's willing to work only maybe 20 or 30 hours a week, because a lot of them, you know, that's their full-time job. But because we had our kids in school and preschool, that's all I really needed. 
Um, so the au pair thing worked out beautifully. I would recommend it to almost anybody. You do have to have a bedroom in your house that they can have, like their own room. That's really the only requirement. That and what, what is the difference of a nanny and an au pair? The au pair is a program. It's a federal visa. They get a it's a special kind of student visa, so they take a few classes. That's one difference. Um, you, If you go through an agency, of course, you pay the agency a finder's fee, but then how much you pay the au pair is mandated, and it's very economical. You pay them room and board, obviously. They live with you. They eat your food. Um, and they're from another country, so you, you have to be prepared that they may not speak English or maybe not as well as you would like. You, of course, can find someone. Like our mm -hmm. first one was from South Africa, and you learn English when you're like five in South Africa. So her English was just fine. But, you know, she was used to driving on the other side of the road, so you have to kind of get over that. And, and uh. they get a license. They come usually with an international license. But um, So there's just a lot more, I guess, risk, if you will. Um, but to me, I've lived in other countries. I lived in Japan in undergraduate school. Alex and I and the older two girls lived in China for a year um, throughout this course of our lives. And we value that international experience. And I just looked at it as an opportunity. So it was, it was great. And we had one au pair for a year and a half, another one for six months. And then Jordan, our nanny came back. I probably shouldn't have said her name. Oops. Um, <laughs> and now we have her back again. So, you know, one thing okay. I want to mention, though, that I think might hold people back, and you said unconventional things, but I think this is something that people don't always think about. Not necessarily unconventional, but a lot of barriers, I think, in people's lives, the reason they don't do something, I think a lot of times that stems from, from fear. Like, I'm afraid of what's going to happen if I get an international au pair and they drive my kids and get an accident, or I'm afraid of going back to work and not being able to be there for my kids, or I'm afraid I'm afraid, you know, and maybe you don't even consciously realize that, but if you step back and think to yourself, why am I not doing this? Why am I truly, why am I not doing this? And I learned that fear thing. I can't even remember when, but I, I think I believed that my entire working career, sometime in college is when I had this awareness, like, I'm not going to let fear be a reason that I don't do any something. Fear is not a legitimate reason to me. And I think if people really got down to it, a lot of times the reason we don't do a lot of stuff is because of, of fear. Hmm. So shifting to kind of a, um, a, the topic of just women and the women in the workplace, working moms, something that I am very grateful for Natalie um, in doing in my life is basically um, just being my mom worked um, number of part-time jobs raising us and Natalie is like a superhero I have no idea how she does all the different things that she does but she has coined this term which I don't know if anyone else she says that her grandma came up with it but she calls herself and and you would fall into this category as well I don't know if she's ever told you but you would be what Natalie would consider a strong ass independent mm. woman and so she always says, you know, when she's doing lots of things or, or, you know, trying to maintain her health throughout pregnancy, she ran a half marathon in her second trimester with Ellie. Um, she just always refers to being a strong ass independent woman. And I think that it's very exciting for me to, to be um, so close and to be able to help Natalie um, in that quest. But I would say, First of all, for you, how do you feel like the, do you have a desire or, or is there a, 
um, trying to think of how to phrase this, like how much of your ambition uh, is, is from, and I don't want to say it's in a bad way, but like a chip on your shoulder of like, I can do it and I will do it even better because I'm a woman instead of just kind of falling into the stereotypes that other people may have for you. Does that make sense? It does make sense. And it's a great question. Um, I don't know that I ever really thought I'm going to do this to prove a point because I'm a woman. At least not in my formative years. I wasn't raised that way. My family, it was never boys do this and girls do that. Although I, I do think that men and women are wired differently. I, I do believe that, but I think it's diverse in an appreciative way. It's good. Um, and to me, it was more just, I'm going to do this because I'm a human being, right? I'm going to do this to see if I can. Um, I'm going to try and, and that's interesting. Um, yeah, I really believe strongly in the dignity of the human being. And I, I think, you know, this is like the only Bible verse that I can actually quote. It's John 10, 10. It said, Jesus says, I came that you might have life and have it in abundance. And to me, that means always trying and always doing your best. You know, having life in abundance isn't sitting around and twiddling your thumbs. You know, it's, it's trying things. And as I've gotten older, yeah, I definitely have seen the, the male female thing. And I think especially as you get to, um, be in higher parts of, of companies or you're around executives and stuff. And there have been a few times where I'm like, gosh, should I do this? I'm a woman. It's a little different. Or are they considering me differently? But I've decided, and I'm just going to say to heck with that, right? I, I actually don't care. I'm going to just behave as though it wasn't a difference. And if it's a difference, it's somebody else's problem and not mine. Um, if I really perceived it as a huge issue, I would call it out. But I haven't had to have that happen to me. I I, maybe I've been very fortunate. Maybe I put blinders on. Um, I don't know. I just, that's not really a, probably not a satisfying answer to your question if I've. <laughs> no, I think that's, I think, and I may, I could have been misleading with my own, the way I phrased it. But I think the, the way that I would restate it after hearing what you said is that it's basically making sure that you're not holding yourself back because um, of your gender. Yes. Or, or even outside of that, just like because of where you're from or, um, I don't know, I guess the way that you said that, I like that. It's basically like, why is this even a, it, it shouldn't be a factor typically. Um, but there, there are lots of ways that you just proceed forward and, um, do what you feel like your skill set and your passions and desires are allow you right. to do. I, I guess I think of people as people. It doesn't matter their gender. It doesn't matter their race. It doesn't matter their age. It doesn't matter, you know, physical disability or not. Um, if you just think of them as people that are capable and treat them that way, then they tend to respond that way, you know? And and so I also don't think, though, that, that you should just give people things just because they are female or some sort of race or some sort of minority. Of course, I I believe that it's better to have diversity in general because diversity of thought tends to lead to better outcomes. Mm -hmm. um, but I guess to me, I, I would rather we all just 
if we could just not see all that extra stuff and just look at what the person's really capable of doing, who they really are, that would be best in all situations. Right. So another thing that, uh, switching to a new topic again, on the topic of money or just, um, uh, I, 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 something that I have talked to and, and had in other podcast interviews and just conversations with people, um, I'm always curious how much does money, and I feel like the, what we, at least this is my perspective, what I want to say is like, oh, I'm not driven by money. But there are there's a, there is a desire to um, almost and I guess it, whether it's like as a metric of success, uh, you alluded earlier like if you if you have a working mother, your kids will make more money. Um, how much does money drive the decisions that you and Alex have made um, in your desire to work or the jobs that you're pursuing? Um, either and, and has that changed over time? That's a great question. Yes, it's changed over time, but mostly because we've accumulated more wealth and we can afford things better, right? So I was raised in a very frugal family and also to be independent and not to be in debt. So money was a big deal. Like I did not study liberal arts because I wanted to get a scientific-based job because I was told by my parents that that would get me more money. Right? And it just turns out that I actually like science and engineering and stuff. So it was a win-win. But uh, I certainly could have tried to go into drama. I also loved theater. <laughs> the chances of me making a lot of money you know, that way aren't quite as great as becoming an engineer, or at least it's less likely. I suppose you could make a lot more if you hit the jackpot there, right? But um, Yeah, the yeah. percentages are lower. But, in that but I, I definitely yeah. think that we've been motivated by money in the sense that we wanted to get jobs and you know i already said that alex had to bring in a steady paycheck and benefits in order for me to do this flexible job because our risk tolerance level is not such that we would have been comfortable and, and more power to people who are but we personally wouldn't have been comfortable having four kids with un like shaky healthcare benefits you know and not sure where we were going to get the paycheck right. and be able to pay the mortgage um so money definitely grounded those things as we've been frugal with money ourselves and saved, it becomes less important, of course. And that's a benefit. Um, I probably never would have gone into something like nonprofit or, you know, just out of school just because I did want to make money. But I also don't think there's anything wrong with that. I, I just don't see anything wrong with that. I also think, and this is something I'm interested to talk about with you because you already told me before, you might disagree a bit. I feel like people can find meaning almost anywhere if they look for it, right? Like just because I was an engineer in a big corporate environment didn't mean that I wasn't able to help those around me. I don't think I, I can be a positive light in that environment. People enjoy, I, I like to, I'm a positive person. Typically, you know, I smile at people. I'm happy to see people and engineers and technicians need to see that just as much as somebody in a nonprofit world does. Um, so I can still live my life and espouse my values and ideals, even in a situation where I'm making a profit from it, I think. Mm. Right. No, I definitely, and I think that's interesting that, or it's, it's cool to hear you say, cause I feel like Natalie and I have, um, and I was just thinking, uh, last week we were doing some budgeting for the month and future and just kind of setting goals for various things. And I think that it's interesting, um, that 
we definitely like are making a lot of decisions based on the finances and money and we want to acquire more money but I one thing that I started thinking about was um, and I have asked my mom this as far as uh, a goal like what what are you trying how much like an actual dollar amount are you actually trying to acquire and then the, the better question is and then what so if you want to you know like I really like the idea of Natalie and I both being able to have enough invested in either assets or in the market or whatever that we can um, the go with the reason that we want that is so that it's less stressful and we are able to pursue potentially more um, philanthropical things not necessarily just giving money but you know like you mentioned whether it's nonprofit work or potentially um, volunteering um, in churches or, or, or whatnot but I think the, the it's surprising to me how few people um, at least the people that are in my immediate life have like specific dollar amounts that they're shooting for so that they can get there and then say like take a breath and then like you know refocus or or you know realign the the remaining portion of their life if that makes yeah. sense you you know what i'm saying i do know what you're saying um it does seem like people don't seem to understand that money is important um that you can have a you can be more generous as you get older if you have some sort of foundation that's growing and working for you it and as i said before it has changed for us because when we first started out, we needed to make ends meet and we wanted to save. So we did have numbers that we had to make, if you will. And, you know, we're not by any stretch done with working. We, our kids are still young. We're still in the thick of it. But but because we were we lived our lives that way in our early marriage and we're going on 14 years right now, we are able to be more generous now. We give a lot to our kids' school and our parish, right? We do things that we are are proud to be able to donate to financially um, we could never have afforded that 10 years ago, you know? And so I do think it's, mm -hmm. it's, what do you want to do with it? Like you said, what, are, and then what? Um, and I'd like to think, you know, we have a nice big house. We've got a lot of kids. We use every single inch of this space, but I, I don't actually care very much about the material stuff. Like as soon as the kids leave the house, I kind of want to downsize and move to a condo downtown. Right. So, <laughs> um, <laughs> I think that's a great way to not have them come back home. Um, but, uh, I'd like to think I'm not tied to the stuff as much as, like you said, the security and the knowledge that we we will be fine, our kids will be fine, they'll still go to good school, and we can give where we want to help. And it just it buys you freedom. That's what money buys you. It's freedom. So the now on to the thing that you mentioned as far as purpose. I have a hard time for myself um, – settling or I guess that's what I would call it and being like okay with the job or the work that I do because I always feel like I want to find something more meaningful or purposeful but I look at other people and be like I totally see how that's possible that you can find purpose and a greater like calling in that job that you're doing so my question for you is do can you relate to that or have you had any struggles in your own work where you feel like you want to, or you've already said that you believe that you can find purpose in any job that you have, yep. right? Yeah. Does that and make I, sense? I've thought about this a lot, Chris, since you and I talked about this before. Um, 
and I, I want to be very careful with how I explain what I think. I do think you can find meaning <laughs> wherever you are, because I think that the, the attitude and the mindset that you bring is your choice. You can decide that you're a janitor and you're mopping the floor with dirty water and this is terrible and this is awful and my back hurts and I can't stand it. Or you can say, I'm putting a man on the moon. I'm part of this greater team. That is not the same as not wanting more, as not trying to grow, right? You can say, I'm a janitor. I am mopping this floor. I am earning money so my kids can go to college or I am earning money so I can put myself through college, right? I am doing this to get somewhere else and that is different. What I see so often in the course of my career and especially in this consulting business, people send women to me who have stayed home for five, 10, 15 even years and they're ready to go back into the workforce because they're like, oh, you should talk to Andrea. She's doing this already. You should talk to her. And I love talking to those people, of course. But one thing I hear from them so often is I want to work, but I don't know what it is I would really find meaningful to do. And so they stop and they do nothing because they can't figure out what's the most meaningful thing for them. And that I think is where the problem mm -hmm. is, right? Sometimes you just need to do something to catalyze that and you can find meaning in that and it will lead you to something else, which you might find greater meaning in. It will lead you to something else where you find a greater sense of purpose and that is totally legitimate. What I, what I see so often is so many people just think if they don't find the perfect thing, and I would say this is probably true, uh, not just stereotype, but millennials <laughs> too. Um, if they can't find mm. the perfect thing, they're not going to do anything. And to me, that is not a human being fully alive, right? Like that is sitting and resting on something, but I don't know what it is. Maybe it's the fear. I don't know. Um, I talked to a woman recently, that same thing. She'd been out of the workforce for a long time, was trying to decide, is it nonprofit? Is it consulting? Is it this? Is it that? I'm like... Just try something. Just, just, it doesn't matter what it is. Just try something and get going and get that ball rolling. And then I talked to a millennial the other day. This guy had a master's in physics and, an un, and a minor or whatever in computer science. And he's like, oh, I have no idea. I want to find that place with that perfect meaning. I don't want to go to a company too big or a company too small. Or I'm like, dude, you just need to get a job, right? You're 22, <laughs> get a job, get a job for a year or two and then figure it out, right? Like it doesn't matter. You're not stuck forever in the thing that you move into. Go to that something, try it for a little while, look for the greater meaning, the people you can, you interact with each day, try to improve yourself and them in this situation and still look for the next thing. So that's, I think, the difference. It's not stay in a job that you hate, that you feel is drudgery, that you're not growing and learning anymore in, because you should be able to find meaning there. It's don't sit, you know, it's, it, get out there and do something grab everything you can from it, learn as much as you can and grow and use that as an opportunity to continue growing and finding more meaning and keep going. Does that make sense? Mm -hmm. Yeah. So the, the, what you're saying that you've seen is when people are struggling with that, the people that ultimately find the purpose and meaning are the ones that are attempting or striving valiantly for purpose or, um, What's the word? They're, they're participating right. in life and taking jobs and opportunities that come their way. But it's okay to be, to have that like restlessness to some degree of wanting something more or something better. But 
you still have to be uh, in the moment and doing what is presented for right. to you in yeah. that moment. Is that basically is that it is? Accurate? And I've heard the phrase "Don't let good or don't let perfect be the enemy of good," right? It just because you're trying to find the mm. perfect thing, you might skip a whole bunch of things that are good. And and if you never find the perfect thing, then you've just missed your whole life. Right. Now I think that that's I would say I've I have read a lot about just you know action is the um, uh, what's the, I don't know if I'm saying this right action is the antidote to suffering. But basically. Um, yeah, it can mean a whole bunch of different things, but in this particular case, saying when you are in a place of kind of uncertainty, um, you just have to like That's start right. moving. <laughs> you will die if you sit still and do nothing. Like you have to, uh, you have to go somewhere, even if you end up in the wrong side of the world. You're gonna have a much better, um, you know, opportunity ahead of you because of the experience that you right and i mean it sounds so cliche but it's true every journey begins with one step right so i mean it is cliche but right do something you could do it (laughs) so let's dive in a little bit to your current um job role at crosby hop farms um and kind of what is i guess one thing i'm curious about is um (laughs) <laughs> this will be interesting if your boss ever listens to this. Um, is it everything that you hoped it would be? And I say that in the perspective of, obviously, and I think you've mentioned this before, you were struggling with the idea of, do I want to go back to work full-time? Um, is it actually full-time? Is it more than more hours per week than you thought? Does it is it more, but it feels like less because you enjoy it? But just kind of tell me, how how is it? And... Um, is it kind of the, the, the best thing right that now? That is so funny. You could have put the words right in my mouth. Um, it is more hours than I thought it would be, and I did struggle with that at first. Uh, because I had been flexible for so long, I thought, gosh, you know, now I'm not going to be able to do right the 2 o'clock in the afternoon, whatever, at the kids' school on, the, on a whim. Um, but I think I went back again to that fear thing. Like, why am I really not doing this? Like, what do I really think is going to happen if I don't go to the school at two o'clock in the afternoon on a whim? What, what really would be the outcome of that? Back to your exercise. And when it got right down to it, the potential good outweighed the potential bad. And I figured I'll just give this a go. And that's why the interim time frame was so good for me. And I, I think for my CEO as well. Um, because it allowed both of us to see how would I work in this environment knowing, you know, that I had this flexible background. And I mean, I work from home on Fridays. It's kind of a standing arrangement that I have, but it doesn't mean I'm any less dedicated. So it turned out to be more than a full-time job, but it's flexible in the sense that I can still set my own schedule. I mean, I am pretty traditional in my hours. I drop the kids off at school. I go straight into work and I'll work till, you know, 4.35 and then I'm back on the computer at night. Uh, but I can go drive for a field trip here or there. I just I have to plan it out a little bit better. Um, and I love this job, Chris. <laughs> it is so much fun. And I will have my boss listen to this. But um, I just feel like I see all of the things happening in this business. I am able to affect change and lead these people who work there 
toward what I see as a greater good. Um, we're a growing business. We're an exciting and dynamic business. And, you know, it's kind of funny because I think I'm not like, you know, I like beer as much as the next person. Maybe not quite as much because I like wine a little bit more. But um, but what I love, <laughs> what I do love about the brewery industry is it brings people together, not only socially, but I have seen personally in brewery tours that I've done, like people who you would never see in science or engineering in a cubicle environment like, you know, Intel that are talking about the engineering of how they're putting together their tanks and their systems and their pipes and their cleaning and the chemistry of the science behind the beer making and the, you know, the acids and the oils and the temperatures and, the, and they are so excited and it's, it's because of beer, right? <laughs> I just, I think that is super cool. Actually. <laughs> I really think that's great. And you know, my husband, Alex, he homebrews. He's, he actually started homebrewing in like 2006, way before I even knew about Crosby hot farm, by the way, it's, it's a singular farm, not, plural. Um, it's okay. Uh, it's been a fun, fun ride. It's a great place to be. I'm super jazzed about it. I, I just, I love it. I love it. I wouldn't trade it. Hmm. And then we'll just, the, the last question I have is, um, cause it sounds like a lot of, um, that you are, you maybe have a better definition of this now that you're in your current job than before. But what does success look like to you personally? To me, success is measured in other people's self-esteem. If I can help somebody else feel like they are doing well and they have something worthy to contribute, that is success to me, actually. Because I feel like then that's what that makes me feel good because I've helped them feel good and then they feel good and they help whoever they interact with feel better. And, you know, my second grader would call that ripples of kindness. I, I realize that it might sound childish or simple or, or something like that, but I really think it's true. And if we all had that, if we all just tried to make somebody else feel a little bit more self-confident, I think this world would be a better place. Awesome. And three book recommendations. So I thought about this one, um, two very formative books for me. One is Ayn Rand's Atlas Shrugged. I read that when I was 20 years old. My family went on a road trip to the Grand Canyon and I literally stayed up all night in the lobby of the hotel just reading that book so I could not keep my brother awake because we were sharing a room. Amazing book. Um, and then my grandpa gave me a copy of Dale Carnegie's How to Win Friends and Influence People. Have you ever read that? Mm -hmm. It's a very good book. Yeah, and it's I think- Classic, it's like a, a million classic. years old. <laughs> it's a million years old. My copy's from 1936. Um, yeah, that's definitely been an influential book for me. And then I like novels. I do a lot of audiobooks. I think you do too, although I can't listen to them 3x speed like you do. But- <laughs> 2x, <it's> baby steps. <laughs> I really like the author Kristen Hanna. I think it's a pseudonym, but two books by her that I thought were especially poignant are The Nightingale, which was about, it was a novel about occupied France during World War II. I had not ever read a book from that perspective, living in occupied France. Um, and then also another one she wrote called Winter Garden, which had a similar sort of historical theme. It was about, um, it was about Russia and Petrograd, um, 
when it got changed to Leningrad. And they're both kind of that, you know, now with the back then sort of back and forth. And I tell you what, man, I bawled my eyes out. Both of those books, listening to them on audiobook, they're very good. And that's Kristen Hanna? Mm-hmm. Okay. I think I found those. I'll link those up in the show notes. And then um, last, uh, well, I guess not the last question. The next one is the number one favorite movie of all time. <laughs> the Sound of Music. <laughs> the Sound of Music. So, we, Natalie, I don't know if you saw the pictures. I'll have to send it over to you, but Natalie and I, when we went to uh, Europe on our trip last year, we went uh, on a hike um, when we were in um, Austria, and uh, we had we did our best to re-stage uh, or pose uh, or sound of music <laughs> pictures when she's singing in the pasture. But anyways, I, I actually, if I'm honest, I have never watched that whole movie start to finish. I've just seen pieces of it. I am um, sorry. That movie is but, great. They had like a whole sing along at uh, one of the theaters downtown a long time ago, and people dressed up as like raindrops on roses and whiskers on kittens and stuff like that. It was really that's cute. That's awesome. Um, and how would you recommend people get in touch with you? Um, what's your preferred method of contact? Email is great. And yeah, email. people can go to my consulting business website, which is just andreajonesconsulting.com, all one word. And there is a way to contact me from there. Awesome. Um, And then lastly, I just have uh, a list here of, there's actually a list of 300. I'm just going to randomly scroll through and pick 10 uh, rapid fire questions. And um, they're, yeah, they're very, uh, just from your gut. They can be one, one word answers. You can explain or preferably not explain. But you, it could be a sentence, uh, depending on what the question is. Um, what scares you? My kids and deep water. When was the last time that you, quote, took a rest? I took a nap last weekend for an hour. It was great. <laughs> what, what is your last thought before you go to bed? Thank you, God, for my family. Um... Spring or autumn? Autumn. What does your office or workspace look like? Very sparse. What is illegal? Gosh. Murder? (laughs) These are getting deep. (laughs) (laughs) Murder, theft. (laughs) (laughs) I don't know. (laughs) Um, And then um, where do you go to think? Running. I really think I run. And these are all, they're like turning into one word things, which are difficult. That's what you told me to do. (laughs) No, 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 no. I'm saying the questions are becoming one word. Like this, it says milk. Question Cookies. Cookies. (laughs) Okay. Um, What motivates you? Curiosity. And... This might be a longer answer, but what is your greatest failure? My greatest failure is when I realize consciously that I've done something that hurts somebody else's, like, not necessarily hurts their feelings, but hurts them deeply and inadvertently. Hmm. I don't want to do that. And then the, uh, there's two, last two questions. What annoys you? 
beeping noises, my children tapping on things incessantly. <laughs> <laughs> I guess like repetitive noises. <laughs> okay. Um, actually, I have to deviate just for a moment. One thing that <laughs> Natalie's family has uh, penetrated, like just influenced me by, I guess, is uh, they chip crunching and carrot crunching. They hate it. So apparently when you eat a chip, you actually have to close your lips around the chip before you bite into the chip, which drives me insane because I'm like, I'm just trying to eat my damn chips. Like I'm not, I'm not being, I'm not eating with my mouth open, but I don't know if that falls into your, I guess it would only be annoying if I ate chips like repetitive, like repeatedly at a consistent cadence. That's right. If you're eating chips, like crunch, 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 crunch. Like to me, that's a dance beat music. That's not chip eating. (laughs) Um, And then the last question, what are you afraid of? You know, I, I am afraid that I might miss something. I have FOMS, <laughs> fear of missing something. I really do have that, unfortunately. So maybe that's why I do so many things. But I also have to tell myself it's okay if I don't do everything. Hmm. Awesome. Well, that... Um wraps it up for us so i appreciate you taking the time to do this and um yeah i am excited to see where crosby hop farms ends up in the next five to ten years or so but um yeah i appreciate it thanks chris thanks so much for your time i really appreciate it i feel very humbled that you chose to ask me to do this especially listening to all of your other speakers they've been great thank you everyone for your attention and listening to another episode of the pursuit of purpose Your feedback and comments mean the world to me. If you liked what you heard, take a second and leave me a five-star review on iTunes. If you've got suggestions for future episodes or want to say hi, you can shoot me an email at chris at chriskiefer.net. And don't forget, I make it a point to include all of the links to the books, movies, and resources that were mentioned in this episode in the show notes. You can find those notes directly in the episode description or on my website at chriskiefer.net. You're listening to the Pursuit of Purpose podcast. Wisdom, stories, and advice from successful entrepreneurs and inspirational people.